broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. And good morning, Las Vegas. Happy Wednesday to you all. Thanks for being here. You're listening to The Frittle Show on 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. We are actually going live to Facebook Live right now. Hang on one second here. We'll get this up and running. So if you would like to actually watch the magic you can watch right now okay there we go if you head over to facebook.com slash the frittle that's my public page you can actually watch this happen have to make the social medias work because what i want to start the show with today is talking about some conversations i've had on social media with different people the last few days things that have just in many ways astonished me about this election season. Um, the, the divisiveness of this election are unlike any I have ever seen before. And the t- complete uh, lack of any desire to want to work with anyone who might have a, a differing opinion than we do it amazes me because we've never had a political candidate who's thought exactly like we do. We have always voted for compromise candidates. So what do I want to talk about right now? Right now what I want to talk about is what I believe are the two biggest myths this election season. And then we'll move on. We're going to talk about Tim Tebow because he's in the news. We're going to talk about the Cubs' amazing win. We're going to talk about Christopher Colon. But first, but first, what I believe are the two biggest myths of this election season. Are you ready? All right. Number one, I can't in good conscience vote for Donald Trump. I think he's immoral and I simply can't do it. So instead I've decided to vote for Hillary. Um, what? Have, have you met Hillary Clinton? Do you, do you understand anything about Hillary Clinton? I mean, I, I get it if you don't want to vote for Trump because he's an immoral man. He is. But Hillary is, is an immoral woman. So, um, neither one of these is a moral choice. And I talked about this yesterday, so I'm not going to rehash all of my reasoning there. But the fact of the matter is, you may like Donald Trump, and that's fine. But he's not a moral man, and you liking him doesn't change that. You may like Hillary Clinton, but she's not a moral woman, and you liking her doesn't change that. And guess what? It's okay to admit that maybe your candidate has made mistakes. Maybe there are some things that your candidate does that you don't actually agree with. You know, you don't have to defend every single thing that your candidate does. In fact, you shouldn't because they're human and they make mistakes. And there are things that God calls sin that we must call sin. And if it's sin, it's sin. So stop, stop, just stop trying to make it okay because it's not. 
And you can still support a political candidate without agreeing with everything they've ever said or done. I know it may seem impossible and mind-blowing, but you can do it. All right, so that's myth number one, is thinking that, well, I, I can't vote for Trump, so I'm going to vote for Hillary because she's a better moral option. No, 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 no. Neither one of them are a good moral option. You have, If you want to vote between the two of them, you have to make your decision based on something other than the morality of the candidates because they're both immoral people. And we could, we could go on and on about, well, every candidate has problems and every candidate has, is immoral to an extent, and that's true. I'm talking about the fact that many on the right in Christendom have made their decision on who to vote for in the past based solely on social conservatism, and that does not exist in the two main party candidates this time around. Not in a traditional sense, anyway. All right, number two, biggest myth this election season. Are you ready? This is the other one that I've heard and that I... I I have been amazed at the number of people that I've actually talked to about this very thing in the past few days, and so I thought it would be a good thing if I addressed it here. Number two, biggest myth. Number two. Ready? Well, the GOP has abandoned Donald Trump, so I'm abandoning them. They don't need my vote. I'm going to walk into that voting booth, and I'm going to vote for Donald Trump, and then I'm going to walk out. So I'm, I'm not sure where this is coming from except uh, probably frustration with GOP leadership. But the problem is this. Even if you like Donald Trump and he gets elected, he's not God. So unless you expect him to govern as a supreme ruler, it doesn't work that way in America. If you like Donald Trump and you want any of his agenda to actually be accomplished, then you need to vote for GOP candidates down ballot. Because, quite frankly, if you elect Donald Trump, but Democrats take control of the Senate, take control of Congress, he's not going to accomplish anything that he has promised. He won't be able to. They won't let him. It will not happen. And you say, oh, well, he doesn't need Congress. He can do it. He's a great negotiator, blah, 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 blah. No, it won't happen. I'm telling you, it will not happen. And if you think that the presidency alone has that much power, and if the presidency alone does have that much power, that checks and balances don't matter, and that it doesn't matter who sits in the other offices, well, then you're not going to make America great again because then the concept of America and the principles that have kept Washington, D.C. for the last 200-some years are failing and have failed, and so it's not going to work. And... I've heard this argument by people that are saying, well, the only thing that's important is, is the Supreme Court. We have to keep the Supreme Court. I, I agree. We need constitutional justices on the Supreme Court. And I would agree that there are a lot of really good constitutional judges on Donald Trump's Supreme Court nomination list, that his infamous list that he released. I agree with that. But the Senate are the ones that confirm any of those nominees. So even if Donald Trump is elected, if the GOP does not control the Senate, then Donald Trump's nominees are not going to ever serve in the Senate. None of the people on that list will ever sit on the Supreme Court if the GOP does not control the Senate uh, after this election. So if your thing is, well, I'll vote for Donald Trump, but no one else is worthy, that's a GOP candidate because they haven't stood by him, 
well, then you're going to lose the Senate and the Supreme Court really doesn't matter to you because Democrats aren't going to let that happen. In addition to that, for people that are making this argument, that say, well, those that won't support Trump at the top of the ticket because they can't see uh, a moral difference between he and, um, and Hillary, they're just blind. Well, all right, if that's what you want to say. But then take here in Nevada, for instance. You have, you have uh, Senator Harry Reid's seat is being vacated. And we have Joe Heck running on the Republican side and Catherine Cortez Masto running on the Democratic side. If you can't see a difference between those two candidates, well, it's pretty much very similar. And, and another thing. Those that are supporting Trump are saying, well, we will forgive the things that he has done in the past. It's like anything and everything he's done, we can forgive. But if you are in Congress, if you are a GOP sitting senator or congressman and 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 you do something we don't like or, or you don't support Trump, well, you are beyond forgiveness. You are beyond help. So we have this double standard for who is worthy of forgiveness for the greater good and who is not worthy of forgiveness for the greater good. But what most disturbs me about this myth number two, this election season, that we can just, that people on the right say, well, I can just walk in and vote for Trump and the GOP has abandoned him, so I won't vote for any other GOP down the ballot. Well, that, that is a complete abandonment. If you are a Republican, then that is a complete abandonment of your neighborhoods, of your communities, of your state. I mean, the founding fathers would roll over in their graves if they could see how much importance we put on federal level elections and how little we seem to care about our local and state officials. It should be just as, if not way more important to you, who is elected to your local court. Because guess what? Before anything ever gets to the Supreme Court, it starts there. It should be important to you who is elected to your assembly. It should be important to you who represents you in Congress. It should be important to you who represents you in the Senate because they are your elected officials and you will have way more access to them and be able to have more of an impact in their lives and they will represent you far more than whomever is elected president, whether they're the person that you vote for or not. So my question is, is it your conscience the only one that matters? I mean, if, if you get mad at people who say they won't vote for Trump because they can't in good conscience, but you say, I can't in good conscience vote for the, the people down ballot that are Republicans because they don't support Trump, doesn't it make it then that their conscience doesn't matter but, but yours does? I mean, at what point do we actually care about our country over just caring about ourselves being right because that's really what it boils down to, isn't it? I mean, is, do you actually care about America? Do you actually care about the Supreme Court? Or do you just care if you are right? Because if the only thing that matters is if you're right, then, well, you don't need to see the truth on the other side. You don't need to understand anyone else's point or consider that they might actually have a valid concern. But if you actually care about America, and I say this as someone who is neither a never-Trumper nor a Trump supporter... 
But if you care about the Supreme Court, the only chance the Supreme Court has for having anything remotely close to a constitutional justice is if two things happen. One, if Donald Trump is elected president, and two, if the GOP maintains control of the Senate. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot say, I compare about the Supreme Court, so I'm going to vote for Donald Trump, but I'm not going to vote for anybody else in the GOP because they've abandoned us. Well, if you abandon them, you're abandoning the Supreme Court. That said, and I've said this many times before, you don't, you don't have to support Donald Trump. I'm not saying that you do. You don't have to support Hillary Clinton. I'm not saying that you do. I think that you should do whatever you believe you should do. You should do what your conscience says you should do. You should do what you believe is best for your neighborhood. You should do what you believe is best for this country. You should elect people who are most closely aligned with what you believe about America and who has the, the best solutions for our country and who you think will leave the best country for your children and your grandchildren. So if you don't want to vote for Donald Trump, that's fine. If you don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton, I'm okay with that too. If you don't want to vote down ballot, okay. But my point is this, then, then just stop saying that the people on the other side that your conscience matters, but theirs doesn't. Stop saying that it's principled for you to not vote for Donald Trump, but not principled for them to vote for someone down ballot, or vice versa. Don't say it's not principled for them not to vote for Trump, but it is principled for you not to vote down ballot. Because neither one makes the Supreme Court actually happen. Neither one is the moral high ground. I started out by saying that neither one of the the top candidates is a moral choice, and they're not. But I would encourage you, no matter what it is that you think about the top of the ticket or how you feel about how they've been treated by whomever may have offended you in some way, remember this. They are people, and they are people who are looking to serve you. They're not people that you need to take up an offense for, necessarily. It doesn't need to ruin your life. And if we don't learn to at least acknowledge that the other side might possibly have something worth listening to, especially on the right, which is just so divided right now, it's sad, then we're going to lose. Let me. This is my prediction, and I don't mean to be a doomsdayer, but I do want to make a point here. The anti-Trump crowd is so strong in America right now that it is very likely that the Democrats are going to maintain control of the White House. The pro-Trump crowd in America is so strong right now that it's very possible that Republicans are going to lose control of the Senate and possibly also Congress. If those two things happen, well, then November 8th is going to be a nightmare in America for Republicanism and conservatism and the Constitution. And both of those things are going to happen if something doesn't change. If we don't learn to recognize that just because it's my candidate does not make them infallible and I don't have to defend everything that they do or say, and that the people that I might disagree with might actually have a point I should consider, well, then... (laughs) You think we didn't win before. Well, we are not going to win again for a very long time. And I don't mean to depress you. 
I don't mean to be a downer. But I'm an American and a realist, and I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen if we don't learn to get along somehow, if we don't learn to acknowledge. I'm not saying that you have to abandon your conscience. You shouldn't. You should never vote for something that is a violation of your conscience because your conscience is the only one you have to live with. But if you don't learn to recognize that just because someone thinks a little bit differently than you do about politics doesn't necessarily make them an evil person and or worthy or unworthy of your vote, well, then we've already lost our country and it's going to take more than one person getting elected to, quote, make it great again. But at the end of the day, and I said this yesterday, my hope is this. My hope is not that that Hillary Clinton gets elected. My hope is not that Donald Trump gets elected. My hope is not even in maintaining control of the House and Senate by the political party that I happen to most align myself with. Because my hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is in God because I know that at the end of the day, no matter who is elected or, or how you vote for your conscience and I vote for my conscience, God is still in control. Even if Hillary Clinton gets elected, God is still in control. Even if Donald Trump gets elected, God is still in control. Do you get that? God is in control. And the Bible says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it whithersoever he wants. What God wants to happen will ultimately happen. You get one vote. I get one vote. Be sure to use it. Registration deadlines are cropping up all across the country. Early voting started in Ohio today. Early voting starts in Nevada in just a few weeks. You should use your vote. But at the end of the day, don't lose your peace. Use your vote. Don't lose your peace. Because God is in control. And that's all the time we have left for this segment. So we are going to play Amazing Grace from Noteworthy. We'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to The Frittle Show on 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio here in Las Vegas. We're extremely honored. Today we have the Nevada Speaker of the Assembly. John Hambrick is with us. Speaker Hambrick, thank you so much for being here. It's my privilege. Thank you. No, it's really, it's our privilege. We appreciate everything that you and your staff do in serving our state. It's uh, it's really you know i was talking to you a little bit before the program i moved out here from pennsylvania and just the differences from how our state government is managed it really impresses me uh what you guys are able to accomplish in the well state uh, yeah this is the the government because it is small the yep. legislature both in the assembly and the senate yeah we're here to serve the people and we're small and we're we're neighborhood people we live in it on weekends or when we're not in session we go to the same churches, the same grocery stores, same restaurants, and so we're out there in the middle of the, the yeah. Blue Yeah. So let's start there because you know, being from Pennsylvania, I wasn't aware of these things until I moved here. And there may be some people that even have grown up here and aren't aware of how the assembly works. So tell us a little bit about how the assembly is. It full time, part time? How many representatives do we have? Things like that. Well, there. <clears throat> pardon me. There are forty-two members of the assembly and twenty-one okay. members of the state senate. So we call we're sure. nested. There's two assembly districts to one uh, state senate district. Okay. So consequently, 42 assembly, 21 senate. Makes sense. And in this area, I, I am proud to represent assembly district 2, which basically is the Summerlin area. Okay. And my state senator is Senator Patty Farley. Got and, it. Uh, and then the, there is an opening in uh, assembly 5 because uh, uh, assemblyman Irv Nelson moved out, so he... he now we have an opening, and a, seven, a candidate, uh, Artisman Ham, 
okay. is interested in that. And we'll, hopefully he'll get through on the, in the general election in November. So are you guys, are you in Carson City January through December? Our, the session starts the first Monday in February. Okay. And things go right. It ends the first Monday in June. So yeah. it's a part-time legislature. It is. Which, every other year, in the odd years. In the odd years. Yes. See, now, we will have, in the even years, uh, we will have interim committees because those programs that we give m- m- money for, for example, education, health, and human services yes, during sir. the session, then in the interim times, they will uh, the different groups will come and ask for their share of the money and de- describe what the money will be spent for. If it's the Department of Agriculture, for example, they may want to have six brand new fire trucks sure. or crew trucks when they when they do have fires they may want to have feeding stations mm-hmm. and, and then if you're in the department of the state police they may want to have new radios or new cars mm-hmm. so they will get the money initially then they have to come back and tell us how they're going to spend it so and that goes through the committees it doesn't yes. go through the entire legislature no, it will go through the interim committee because the money has already been approved okay. by the legislature now it's how that money is going to be divided up and spent. And now are those committees, are they made up of legislators like yourself, or is that a separate committee that's not involved with the legislature? No, every, almost every legislator will be assigned to an interim committee. Okay. There are some that are un- unable to do that because of work commitments, because we are part-time, we're a citizen legislature. Right. So there are some that even during the regular session, uh, for example, school teachers, uh, mm, mm-hmm. they really have to take leave, sick leave, and utilize and burn up all their leave during the session. So it's a little tougher during the interim. So we do not have every legislator on an interim committee. That makes sense. I, I think that's such a good model, though, that we have citizen legislators. Because it, uh, coming from Pennsylvania, where my background is, we have we don't have term limits. We have full-time s- legislator, full-time staff. We have pension problems. We have all kinds of issues that I think are resolved instantly if you go to a situation like what we have here in Nevada, which is great. We have citizen legislators, real citizen legislators that have real jobs outside. And like you said, they're even taking vacation time to serve us. Like, that is public service. It is. And as a matter of fact, under our Constitution, we have a 120-day session. But by the Constitution, we only get paid for 60 days. (laughs) That's fantastic. Now, Not yeah, for you. In, in, yeah, in full disclosure, <laughs> I'm retired, but there is per diem money that we get to help offset sure, you know, sure. hotel rooms and meals. Yeah. But salary-wise, we only get paid for the first 60 days, and wow. then there is no more money by That's, constitution. See, now, if our federal government operated more like the state of Nevada... How interesting would that be? But I won't I won't make you comment on that. <laughs> we both would get in trouble. <laughs> That's right. All right. So it obviously though it is an election season, everyone is talking about politics and their favorite politicians and different things like that. Without getting into the nitty gritty of of individual people, I want to talk more just broad what are some things you obviously you haven't been an elected official forever. Um, you transitioned from a private from uh, the private sector and now uh, as you said you're retired and then you do this kind of on the side I guess as a public servant but what are some things that you had looked for and some things that you try to apply as an elected official what are things that we should look for in people that want to be involved in the government process well I I think the electorate or my constituents or any uh, elected officials constituent should look at themselves first they all have areas if they're in education if they're in uh, public safety or if they're in agriculture or manufacturing, their own interest. And then yeah. they can turn around and go off that. We have 
Chamber of Commerce, both in the city, and, and we have the Henderson Chamber of Commerce, Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce, and these are made up of businessmen. So these businessmen and women can certainly go back to their expertise in the business area. Plumbers, pipe fitters, carpenters, electricians, they, they all should ask their elected officials questions that they're concerned with that right. they should know the answer to already and go forward with it. And, yeah, that's very. That's a lot of wisdom right there. So what what about um involvement in general you know people will say often i hear this oh well it doesn't matter my vote doesn't matter or you know the only thing i need to vote for is is the president and everything else it doesn't really matter what what would you say to those people well i would ask them to to sit down and, and look at particularly in in the state of nevada we have the state senate, the state assembly, but then as we start going down the structure, then you'd have your county commissioners. Mm-hmm. And in, in many areas, then you'd have city council. Yeah. And then you even go further, you may have other smaller HOAs, which are not elected, but they still have a small governmental organization. Right, sure. And I think the citizens should be involved in, if not on a day-to-day basis, at least read their budgets, read the minutes, because they all have mm-hmm. to be made public. And if there's questions, maybe go to a meeting occasionally. And ask those questions and make those individuals that you have elected, whether it's an HOA, city council, county commission, the state assembly, the state senate, or the U.S. uh, congressional delegation, the U.S. Senate, the House of Representatives, ask your representative meaningful questions. Everyone that I know, and I know the entire congressional delegation, they are all church-going people. So if you see them at a house of worship, they have to go to grocery stores to buy their groceries. Sure, yeah. Their kids, if they have younger children or if they're college age, they go to college, you will see them on the street. Engage, hopefully in a respectful manner, but engage them. Mm-hmm. Because never forget, our elected officials, regardless of the level, work for you. That's right. That's right. And, and, and we are here because you allow us to be there with your vote. Yeah. And only... Some people would say it's an oxymoron, but only good politicians actually recognize that and will say that. But it is important that we contact our elected officials. And I, I'd like you to touch on something quickly, if you would. Uh, having worked in a, in a state representative's office before, I know that there are people are often encouraged to reach out and contact their elected officials. But I'm not sure that everyone understands how to do that or even maybe the best way to do that. So, for example, uh, if someone's going to call up to your office and your staff is phenomenal uh, to deal with, but I think, you know, if we... um if we get in this mindset of thinking that our elected officials aren't there to serve us or that, um, <laughs> I don't know a delicate way to say this, but basically it doesn't usually do a whole lot if you call up and start yelling at a staff member on the phone. No, we prefer people not so, yell. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and having been in that situation, I've been the person that's picked up the phone and somebody literally is yelling at me because something fell out of the sky and hit the car. And what is their state representative going to do about that? Well, maybe that's not the best approach to take. So how can people get in touch with, say, you or other offices, and what would be some good ways for them to do that? Well, if they have uh, computers available, the Internet, you could certainly go to the state of Nevada and start walking down their menu, and we will all be on the Internet. And if you do not have uh, computers available, if you are able to go about the city and, and drive around, go to the nearest library. Mm-hmm. Or go down to one of the government buildings, the county sure. commission down, I call it the pyramid building, where the Clark County government is located, down near downtown. Yes. Or, and they, their representatives or their uh, re- 
receptionist will take care of that. Mm. But if you have access to a computer or call someone, go to the state of Nevada and, and do drop-down menus. And every state senator, every member of the assembly, and your federal officials will be listed there. And their contact data will be there. Yeah. Normally not home contact, but the occasion sure. itself, but their staff uh, on the congressional delegation, their local representative here, and their numbers back in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. In my case, my home number and my name oh, wow. is in the telephone book. Wow. Well, no matter where my, my wife and I have lived, and I have been the former chairman of the Clark County Republican Party, mm-hmm. so I'm very, very accessible. Mm-hmm. If you have a telephone book... Flip it open to the H's, go down to H-A, H-A-M, H-A-M-B, <laughs> and then you'll find me. Yeah. And I, I live in the Sumlin area, so I'm very, very accessible. You are, and, and that's that's another thing that I love about our state-level officials and our local officials is I think sometimes people, we only think about those federal-level officials, and bottom line is you're probably not going to get through if you try to contact a federal official, and you should contact them, but... It's much more effective, I think, to start out with a local level, with contacting people like yourself that we can actually have a conversation with. And really, you probably have a better foot in the door to get something done at that federal level than even we might. Well, I would hope so, because I know the entire congressional delegation. And I do not have staff. The only mm-hmm. time that I, any member of the, of the assembly will have staff working for them is during the session. Mm-hmm. And a, a week or two before setting the offices up sure. and a week or two after the session adjourns to close it up, pack things away, and then our help is gone. So my support staff is my wife. She's my treasurer, and she's my partner, and I said my name's in the phone book, so either my wife or I will answer the phone. And so, again, we're very, very accessible. That's amazing. So let's transition just a little bit here. I know your time is very valuable, but I did want to ask you about how you got to this point. Like, obviously, you weren't born and start out as, oh, you know, little little John Hambrick graduates high school and is going to become the Speaker of the House. That's That wasn't uh, how life began. So what... Tell us a little bit about your journey. I know you had mentioned, and I saw uh, earlier this week I was doing some some research about you and discovered that you worked Uh-oh. for the Secret Service, which I think <laughs> is just completely fascinating. But that's another show all by itself. Yeah, all by itself, I'm sure. So, but how how did you how did this transpire in your life? Did you always want to be involved in the political realms, or was this just something that came up one day and it was a door got opened that you walked through? Well, I teach people that I was involved with the most political organization on the face of the planet for 32 years. Then I do a little fake drum roll. <laughs> little League Baseball. Oh. And I was involved with Little League Baseball in yeah. Virginia. When we came here, I'm the former president of the Southern Little League. When mm-hmm. my wife and I lived in California for a short time, I was on the district staff. So I've wow. sort of been involved in organizations that deal with youth for a very long time. Sure. I'm a former chairman and current member of the Nevada General Justice Commission, mm. appointed to by Kenny Gwynn, rest us all. And I'm now on the Supreme Court Commission for General Justice Reform. Oh, wow. Justice Hardish and Justice Seda appointed me to it. and. Uh-huh. If there's anything dealing with youth in this state, I'll be in the room someplace. But because of my, I guess, my Little League background, and when I, my wife and I came to Nevada, I just wanted to continue it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that uh, it was gnawing at me. I had to do something with the kids. Sure. And um, the former assemblyman in my assembly district, too, Dr. Garn Maybe, and, uh, and another doctor uh, before that, Bill Harrington. And so I wanted to stand on their shoulders as 
sure. hopefully someday in not not too distant future, somebody will be standing on my shoulders in this. Mm-hmm. And it's just I, th- I thought there was a calling, and to get things done for kids. And I'm on the different committees, Health and Human Services, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm on the Budget Committee or Taxation Committee, where I can have some influence on funding for youth issues in other areas in education. And so we, it's just one of those things that was a natural calling. It's just sort of almost like falling off a log. It just happened. Falling off the off the baseball bat, really. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Touche. Yes. All right. That's all right. Well, Speaker Hambrick, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Appreciate everything that you and your office do uh, for us. What uh, What is the best way for people to reach out to you? I know you said your your numbers in the phone book, but if someone did want to get in touch with you, what is that the best way for them to do it? Well, if they have a computer, it's hambrickforassembly.com. Okay. And very easy to find. Or if you could get in phone book. I'll even give you my number, 702-242-8580. And that's my home number. My cell number is 702-499-6169. And I carry myself with me almost all the time. I turn it off from 11 o'clock. You know, <laughs> Good because during Little League, I get calls sometimes two or three. Sure. I try not to do that now. And so then I turn it right turn it on, but again, I'm very, very accessible. and would like to hear my, from my constituents. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. I've been hearing from individuals in San Diego who are mad at me because the Raiders are coming here. <laughs> but I'm no, open, I'm excited open about the Raiders coming yeah, here. I Being, am too. Because I'm a Broncos fan, really. it's Really, I'm excited because it's all about me. Because I know if the Raiders come, then the Broncos have to come to town at least once a year. So <laughs> that makes me happy. But uh, yeah, it, it should be interesting. It's not a dead, done deal yet. There's a, yeah. you know, we will Potentially, may the governor may, at his discretion, call a special session. And I'm not going to predict one way or the other because mm-hmm. that's the governor's purview. But there are a lot of decisions that have to be made sure. in, the next, in the coming weeks because the NFL ha- have their own deadline. Yeah. And they want to have some answers prior to their their deadlines. That makes sense. All right. Well, thank you so much, Speaker Hambrick. I appreciate you being here. It's Hambrick for Assembly at, what was it? Dot com. HambrickforAssembly.com. Oh, HambrickforAssembly.com. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be back after this break. This is KVXL 101.1 FM in Las Vegas. There is no one like you. All right. That was Chris Tomlin with Jesus on this day in history. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, or Christopher Colon, if you prefer his name in his pronunciation. It's funny to me. That we as Americans always feel the need to pronounce someone's name the way we say it, rather often than the way that they had pronounced their name. Anyway. So Columbus crosses the ocean. Many in recent years have tried to paint him as a villain. And, you know, he wasn't a perfect man. Because he was, in fact, a man. But in looking only at the potential evil that Columbus may have committed in his sojourns to the New World, too many historians have tossed out the baby with the bathwater. And this is one of the many reasons I love wall builders with David Barton. Barton unearths and preserves aspects of history that those who would rewrite our past will never tell you. For example... Did you know that Christopher Columbus was not actually the first European to visit the New World? Vikings. Vikings had traveled here centuries earlier, but he was the first who was widely publicized and thus given credit for the discovery of its existence by Europeans. 
Did you also know that Columbus undertook his first voyage facing the prospect of great danger? The professional opinion of the day assured him not only of the impossibility of his proposed endeavor, but of dragons and death that waited for him beyond the charted waters of the map. So, I mean, it wasn't like he just thought, let me go plunder and pillage, this will be fun. No, no, not quite. There may have been a little more thought to it than that. In fact, he wrote, Our Lord opened to my understanding. I could sense his hand upon me, so it became clear to me that the voyage was feasible. All those who heard about my enterprise rejected it with laughter, scoffing at me. Who doubts that this illumination was from the Holy Spirit? I attest that the Holy Spirit, with marvelous rays of life, consoles me, consoled me rather through the holy and sacred scriptures. They inflame me with a great sense of urgency. No one should be afraid to take on any enterprise in the name of our Savior if it is right and if the purpose is purely for his holy service. And I say that the sign which convinces me that our Lord is hastening the end of the world is the preaching of the gospel recently in so many lands. Interesting. I always find it intriguing when historical figures uh, write or speak about the end being near. And here we are. What is it now? 600, almost 600 years later, saying the end is near. And it's getting closer all the time. Interestingly, this is from wallbuilders.com, in the 1892 Supreme Court decision, Church of the Holy Trinity versus the United States, the court unanimously affirmed that America is indeed a Christian nation. In so doing, it cited dozens of precedents from American history, including that of Christopher Columbus, acknowledging that, quote, from the discovery of this continent to the present hour, there is a single voice making this affirmation that America is a Christian nation. The commission to Christopher Columbus that it is hoped that by God's assistance, some of the continents and islands in the ocean will be discovered. It is especially because of Columbus's religious motivations and convictions that today he has become a villain for most modern educators and writers who regularly attack and condemn him. They have adopted the deplorable modern educational practice of deconstructionism, of attacking traditional Western heroes, values, and institutions. So, if you want to know the real story of Columbus, if you want a historically accurate portrayal, one that doesn't deny some of the bad things that he did, but also does not deny the good. If you're looking for something like that for your kids, go to, uh, this would be more high school level, you want John Eidsmo's book, Columbus and Cortez Conquerors for Christ. Uh, there's a children's book too. Hang on, let me see. I think I can find it. Oh yeah, it's a, it's the stories of famous Christians. Um, there's a Christopher Columbus one of those as well. I can get you the link for that if any of you parents are interested in that. So that happened October 12th. Today, Columbus discovered the New World. He never actually made it to what we would call the United States, however, which most people don't uh, don't seem to recognize that. Okay, I want to hit on two quick sports stories, and then we are done. First, Tim Tebow yesterday, uh, he's at Mets training Oh, what's it called? Instructional League in Florida. Uh, the game is ending. There is this fan that has a seizure. Well, Tebow's going down the line signing autographs. This fan that is waiting has a seizure. 
And it's reported by a, a reporter who was there and witnessed this, who took a picture of it happening. Actually, maybe this happened in Phoenix. Maybe there were a game in Phoenix. Anyway, regardless, she takes this picture and she said this. She wrote, Tebow was signing autographs. Fan had what looks like a seizure, was not moving. Tebow put his hand on him and said a prayer, and the man started breathing. Wow. Talk about a testimony to the goodness of God. And he's trending all over the place because of this. Because he went out of his way to simply pray for this man. What's amazing, though, is if you look at (laughs) most of the stories about this account, including USA Today has the most extensive account of this um, incident that I can find online. But in their lengthiest post about this incident with Tim Tebow, there is not one mention of the fact that he prayed with and for this man. No, instead they say he offered comforting words and chatted about college football and recruiting. No, he he prayed for him. And God answered that prayer instantly, according to eyewitnesses that were there. That's our God. Our God is amazing. Our God is good. And if you're a Cubs fan, you think that God is especially good right now because (laughs) defying all odds, the Cubs somehow came back to win in the ninth inning last night. I was going back and forth between the game and what else was on? NCI. I think NCIS. And it was the bottom of the eighth. The Cubs were down. I was like, eh, I'm going to bed. They're they're done. They'll, uh, They'll be back for game five. And then I woke up this morning... Voila, the Cubs pulled out a miracle. So congrats to the Cubs. Congrats, Cubs fans. You are headed to the NLCS, the National League Championship Series. Next stop after that, World Series. Could it happen? Could it be the Cubs year? I know some people that are really hoping it is. We will see. I mean, they slew the Giants. So really, anything is possible. If you believe. And now the song from Joseph about... Miracles is running through my head. All right. The end has come. Not the end of time as we know it, because I'm still talking. Let me check. Yep. Nope. Time has not ended. No, it is the end of the show for today. Dun, dun, dun. Very sad. But it's okay, because I'll be back tomorrow. And if you can't wait that long, you can go to um, SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search The Frittle Show. You can listen to past episodes of the show there. We'll have today's show up there uh, a little later this afternoon. And... And if you head over to Facebook.com slash The Frittle, you can actually watch the live, well, it won't be live anymore, but you can watch the first segment of the show uh, we did on Facebook Live. So there's actually video of it if you'd like to tune in that way. Okay, it's been a couple days. So to help remind you that we are drawing very close to that glorious celebration we call Christmas, it's time for a Christmas song to end the show. You're welcome. Have a great day, everybody.